When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Here comes the lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go. What's up, good people? Lightning Round Podcast here. And boy, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, is there none fun though? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I don't think we'll be strapped for uh, any talking points today, but it's not going to be fun unless we want to. Well, if we decide we want to go a different direction, maybe, but man, this is this is rough. So, Chargers lose uh, <laughs> at home uh, during uh, Gates' uh, number retirement, which uh, was one of the positives today for sure. Um, they're about eliminated from the playoffs now. And with Justin Herbert out, seemingly for more than just this game, uh, it's time to start to shift the focus to draft. That uh, draft tracker now, the Tankathon, because uh, it's it's about that time now if Easton Sticks playing football for sure. I mean, we're assuming Herbert's out. Yeah, of course, period. of course. We don't know how long he's going to be out. It doesn't seem good, but we don't yeah, know for sure. Of course. But goddamn, that was painful. <laughs> I'm expecting the worst with the Herbert situation. I mean, if it, we get good news, then great. I'm just conditioning myself for bad news. So, you know, God gave us 17 today and took 10 away. So that was a trade-off. <laughs> it costs us everything. <laughs> I actually think him being out for the rest of the season might be good news rather than leaving him out there behind that offensive line right now just nothing good is happening behind that line. Nobody's getting open. Nobody's blocking for him. They can't run the ball consistently. Um, why even have him out there at this point? Yeah. So chargers are now with the 10th pick. If you're, uh, if you're keeping track, sit at number 10. So they got a top 10 draft pick right now. So it's, it's close, but so what do you, so f I know, I know every, the one thing I feel like everybody's focused on when there's like so much junk going around this game is, uh, Staley's choices to go for it on fourth down, especially early in that game where he's unsuccessful, could have just taken the points. I'm curious how you guys feel. I know how I feel, but how do you guys feel about, uh, 
Staley. Not the ones at the end he had to to catch up, but the early on, they probably could have been up 6-0 early on. How do you guys feel about uh, the going for it on fourth down? Craig, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I didn't have a problem with it. And I didn't have a problem with it mostly because you lose that game, your season's basically over anyway. And they're playing a team that basically before today was not scoring touchdowns without short fields. And in a lot of cases, they weren't scoring touchdowns with short fields from turnovers. So to me, I think turning that early interception into seven points in particular was really important for them. Um, and I thought the other plays that they went for it on fourth down, down on the, in the plus side of the field, I thought were equally important. They didn't work because they are not capable of executing those plays at a high level right now. And we have all kinds of, you know, organizational preparedness issues going on, getting plays in on time, getting lined up on time, getting the plays off on time. All those things are, are playing into it. But I think for a desperate team that's trying to cling to any playoff hope they had, they really needed to take every chance and roll every dice they could to try to put points on the board and get, up on a pretty bad Denver offense early. It didn't work, but I don't think you can necessarily evaluate those decisions based on the outcome so much as why he made those decisions. And I think the thought process was for the most part, correct. I'm a little indifferent to be honest with you, because I see both sides. Uh, unfortunately, because the Chargers find themselves where they do, specifically speaking to last week and them getting six points in New England. Uh, you probably want to get points on the board there just to instill some level of confidence into your team. Something on the board there is absolutely better than nothing. So if he went for three, I would have been okay with it. I understand why he went for seven because also Brandon Staley finds himself in a scenario where it's kind of all or nothing with this team right now. And we know what his job status is. So what does he have to lose? Um, he goes for it. He gets seven. Great. It worked out. Um, the fourth and Staley crap, you know, lives for another <laughs> quarter or whatever the hell it, it goes for. But in the event that it doesn't work out, uh, you know, you think that your defense is playing well enough to where you can maybe get another opportunity and you're not as, I guess, worried about the Broncos marching the ball up and down the field on you. I think he probably load himself into a false sense of confidence about that defense based on some of the performances recently. So from a Staley perspective, I understand why he did it. Why everyone else that may not like the decisions that he made. I understand why you do as well, just because you want to see them put points on the board because they've been struggling so offensively. So, I mean, it might be a non-answer, but to be completely honest with you, I really don't have a preference one way or the other, because honestly, I don't think, I really don't think it mattered. Um, just kind of based on where things currently stand. He has to do all he can to, I mean, I'm not going to say save his job, but he's having to coach like someone that needs to save his job if he cares to, even though that's probably out of the window. But also if you just want to give your team something to continue to fight for and you know have them think that you're thinking strategically, kicking three there, giving them something to try to hold on to, a lead, then, I mean, I get that too. So again, sorry, maybe a non-answer, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, but I'm I'm in the camp with Jamie too. I'm I'm more on it. I I think it was the right decisions at the time. I was thinking that they should have gone for it on both those uh, instances. It just felt like this was a game. If they were gonna win, they needed to win. Not only for you know Staley's job's sake, you know, depending on how Spanos feel after this game, but not only for you know Staley's hot seat, but also if they were to win this game, they were going to start to line themselves up to be in the playoff talk with all the losses in the AFC earlier today. Like they were, they were on track to be somewhat in the mix if they win this game. The only way to win the game, in my mind, is to put it in Herbert's hands. And I know the offense has had issues, but you have to trust your quarterback. And we've talked about just putting it in your best player's hands. And if you need a fourth and short at that point, I I completely understand letting Justin Herbert try to get that first down. And while, you know, it wasn't successful, I think it was the right decision at the time. It doesn't end up matter. It doesn't matter at the end because, you know, the game wasn't all that close because once Herbert went down, the game was pretty much over at that point anyway. So uh, that doesn't matter. The six points doesn't matter to me. I know the offense has struggled and you want to take points, but also 
it, it just feels like two field goals there wouldn't have really made the difference at the end of the day anyway. Um, it, it felt like, you know, going for that, getting a 14 point lead could have really helped them out. And I feel like just going for that touchdown rather than settling for a field goal was the right decision in my mind. I just, I don't, it obviously doesn't matter in the end again, but you know, I thought it was the right decision. Yeah. And you know, I thought the defense actually played pretty well. Again, they ran out of gas in the second half because they were on the field so much, but yeah. didn't yeah. they score? Didn't Denver score 14 points off of turnovers on short fields? I mean, that's how they've been winning games lately. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's just like, you kind of have to try to put them in a hole early. And I don't feel like kicking two field goals to keep it a one score game really puts them in enough of a hole to hang on to. I think to me, you know, you've got a team that's fading a team that's struggled all year. They need something to, to grab onto. They need something to believe in. I think they probably need to believe that their coach believes in them in some way. So going forward on fourth down, I think was the right decision. And I think at this point, like there's so many things that we can attack and blame Staley for, uh, getting upset with him over the fourth down calls at this point is just, mm -hmm. you're just looking for a reason to be pissed off. Like you're, it's just a reason to pile on at this point. It's who he's wanted to be since he got here. It's come and gone over the last three years, but you know, make or break game, do or die, desperate, whatever you want to call it. He was playing and calling the game like it was like, the, like they were in a desperate situation. And I think that was the right way to handle it just based on where the team is. It didn't work, but. And, and therein is where the criticisms come into play because when they work, everyone loves it. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't work out, then, you know, it's the pitchforks. Sometimes that, I mean, there have been occasions when he's done that where it makes absolutely no sense. Um, it sure. ends up being maybe an analytics thing, but just due to down and distance where they are on the field from just a game flow situation, it doesn't always uh, make perfect sense for him to take those actions. But uh, where Staley's concerned right now, the team is desperate and he's desperate. So it, like I said before, I'm indifferent, but I understand. Like, I completely get why you would do it. Um, I understand the justifications for it. By the same token, I don't know. It just feels like, based on how the offense is performing, I don't know if there's some sort of disconnect between both he and Moore where play calling is concerned, but it seems like Staley's all for going for it, and then the play calling doesn't align with maybe what would probably garner the success you would want based on where they are on the field. It just feels like Moore is very limited in the red zone, which I mean, which is strange. They were like before today, what top five in red zone touchdowns. They've uh, been converting like 70% of their red zone opportunities all season. And for some reason, especially in these sudden change situations, Moore's play calling has gone in the toilet. So again, I don't know, because I mean, we're just assuming at this point, whether there is some sort of disconnect. I don't know how much say so Staley has in that play calling, if he's making suggestions or if, um, Moore's just kind of going at it on his own in those scenarios, but it just feels like something isn't meshing between the two of them and the result on the field is what it is. So, yeah, I mean, going for the seven there, cool. If you went for the three, I would have been fine with that too. I mean, although I know some people might have figured that that plays into maybe like a, a cowardly decision to make based on where the charges stand right now in the year. But, I mean, points of points to me at this point, I feel like something would have been better than nothing. And Craig, you, you brought up a really good point. You're talking about how the play calling seems disconnected between Staley and Moore. And there were a couple of fourth down calls uh, in mm -hmm. the first half that I thought were kind of odd um, where it just seemed like they didn't know what they wanted to do. There was one play. It was like fourth and short, like less than a yard. Spiller had just gotten stuffed on third down mm -hmm. and they come out with that weird, funky looking jumbo backfield with mm -hmm. McFadden. And I think Eckler and Kelly seems like nobody knows what's going on and they have to burn a timeout because they're not ready to run the play. And then Herbert's last play in the game, they're going for it on like fourth and three or something like that. And <clears throat> they don't even get on the field with the play until there's like 14 seconds left on the play clock. By the time they get lined up and they get whoever was going into motion, into motion, there's like six seconds left on the play. There was no chance the play was going to get off on time, in rhythm, and have any kind of success. And they went and ran it anyway. And this is something that we've talked about before, where they're running these plays. He's got to have it plays in key situations early in games. And not only are they not converting them, 
They're not getting them in on time. They're not getting lined up efficiently. They're not getting the play snap quickly enough. And everything just feels rushed and discombobulated and disorganized. And they look unprepared and they're not converting these plays. And it continues to happen. It seems like every week there's a play like this where they've got to have it. It can get them back in the game or give them a lead. And they're just not the operation of getting the play in and getting lined up and, and getting the ball snapped just is not fast enough. And it just seems like they're not ready and nobody knows what's going on. And that is a huge problem with the coaching. It's been a problem all year. And it's actually dated back to Staley's first year as the head coach where they've had issues with this in key plays. Yeah. I mean, being one for 12 on third down, 0 for five on fourth down, part of that rushed on the, the first fourth down ended up in that uh, illegal motion where, you know, they're rushing to get the play going and QJ's running across and Vanette has to run with him and QJ doesn't get set. It's an illegal motion. The play doesn't even count. They can't convert. And then on that jumbo backfield where they ended up calling a timeout and they're not ready, they come back, run a different play, and they run it with Joshua Kelly on the edge at a point in the game where both Isaiah Spiller and Austin Eckler were running hard almost all game. I mean, they were, they were very successful. They were running very hard and they were running downhill. Kelly was a non-factor to me almost all game. And he, he was terrible uh, as a pass blocker, gave up a sack on Herbert late. He, he made a terrible effort on that one, but um, not only to call a timeout, but then go to a play to your least effective running back. I mean, even, even the rushing and the disconnect and not being able to get it on time. Then when you get the play in, none of these plays were any good. There was a rotation for the hell of it is what it felt like. You came into this game. It was announced that uh, there would be, I guess, fair share of, well, not fair distribution, just guys would get more of an opportunity. There'd be more competition in the backfield. So coming in, you kind of knew that that meant there was probably going to be more, um, a little bit more Kelly, a little less Eckler. And it could have been a light of fire under Eckler. I mean, he ran the ball very well today mm-hmm. and played well in the receiving game. Lo and yeah. behold, look at what game it takes place in. So it's a wasted performance, but I mean, oh well. And then you see Spiller get in and you see why Spiller could be effective in the offense. And then he gets one play where he doesn't get the first down on third down. They pull him and put in the guy with the worst vision of all the three backs <laughs> who's not accomplished anything to that point during the day. So it's like you're doing it just to do it. There really is no plan. And if that was the plan, then somebody needs to go back to the drawing board and figure this out again. Because if the whole idea of the rotation in the backfield was to go with the hot hand, where did Joshua Kelly fit in that mix after the first quarter and a half? At that point, should have been very clear. The two guys who needed to be more involved in the running and passing game, because by the way, both of them can do that. One is not like the other, and he should have taken the backseat to the other two. But again, if this is the plan, it should tell you everything you need to know about this coaching staff and the fact that there's no calming force that can step in and make a difference in situations where they have to have it, these down and distances that they absolutely have to convert on. If everything's hectic and not even someone on the coaching staff can figure out how to con- um, control it or get a hold of it, get guys calm and into the proper formats and sets to get the playoff, then that speaks to a larger problem, not just the guys on the field. Yeah. You actually bring up another really good point, Craig. You're talking about, you know, Spiller being effective and then coming off the field as soon as he doesn't convert on a play. And it reminds me a lot of some of the things that I see. Granted, it's use softball, but I'll use it as an example. <laughs> watching watching coaches make up their minds about about kids saying, oh, they can't do this, whether it's because their their kid plays that position or their kid's friend plays that position and they're threatened by them or whatever they make up their mind that somebody can't do something. And the second they see it once of, well, see, I told you they're not good enough. They can't be out there. They come off the field. And it's the same shit we're seeing with Staley. Um, Kind of like we talked about last week, the games he was playing with the game ball, not giving it to QJ, giving it to Erickson. Um, And then this week was Spiller taking him off the field after not converting the third down when there was no hole and nobody was blocking for him. Um, Just little things like that. it, it, It kind of, I hate to say it, but it kind of furthers that idea that he's, you know, he's a D3 coach or a motivational speaker. Like he's uh, not capable of making some of these. I, I saw it and I looking in the chat about Herbert's injury or did you see an announcement? No, I just got a text. Did they, did they announce it? 
Somebody said something about it in the chat, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, it's a fractured index finger. So he's done. He's gone. Not gone, gone. I mean, like, for the season, he's done. Right. Shut it down. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's kind of the problem that I have with Staley is it's like he's made up his mind with some of these guys. Like, you can't do this. And then the second he sees something that provides some confirmation bias, they're off the field and somebody else is on the field. And it's just frustrating to watch at this level. Mm. Oh, boy. Like uh, 2012, Ryan Matthews with the two clavicles, just back to back. And now you got Herbert, same thing. Busted finger on the left hand, finally gets over that. Similar scenario with the one on the right. So literally catching all the breaks in the wrong way. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, man, I I just I couldn't get over giving that to Kelly there. He had like two carries up to that point. Spiller was effective on two runs up to that point, getting him almost there to the first down and then running Kelly was just was terrible. Um, uh, I just to flip it a little bit. Um, felt like Quentin Johnson had a real. I mean, it was only two catches, but that deep bomb was the Quinton Johnson we all had hoped would be here. And then on that D pass and then, and I'm pretty sure that was on Patrick Sertain, if I'm not wrong. Um, I think he ran right by, but then the second one, he extended with that frame, caught it with his hands, got down before the defender hit him. I mean, that was a pretty physical catch a little bit in traffic and having night two nice back-to-back plays. Of course it comes on Easton stick instead of Justin Herbert, but it almost felt like this is where Quentin Johnson was going to start to break out. As soon as season's gone, doesn't matter anymore. Easton sticks in. Why not have the rookie cut him loose now? Finally. Did it piss anybody else off that they were in a better <laughs> rhythm with stick than they have been with Herbert all year long? Oh man. Like how is that even possible? <laughs> they're running slants. Uh, they're getting screens to, to QJ. They're throwing the ball deep to QJ. Mm-hmm. Like, how are we not doing this with Herbert on the field? I, I don't understand. <laughs> three, uh, three receptions for 91 yards. And you know what? I didn't even realize he was that close to a hundo. I mean, I know they had the big catch for 50. And so I just kind of went back and looked at the statistics. I'm like, wait, dude has 91 yards receiving. And I forgot about the uh, tunnel screen uh, pass that he got early on. And he was able to do what he does with run after catch there. So you saw him being used the way that he should be. And yeah, it is very frustrating to see your backup quarterback, who we now are going to be subjected to for the remainder of the year, come in and suddenly QJ is uh, a focus of the offense. They're going out of their way to scheme up plays that work for him. Now, the deep deep shot, I think it might have been a post route. I don't know if it was a post or a go. I can't remember exactly what the route was. I, just I think it was a go. I'm pretty okay, sure it was so, a go route. So, I mean, you know, typically that's not something that you really want to do with him, but I also don't think that the Broncos thought that Easton stick would go bombs away for 50 yards. So Sertan or whoever that was up there might have gotten caught flat footed. I don't know, but I wouldn't be shocked if that's a play that just caught the defense off guard. Uh, but I, even still the fact that they were willing to go to him and allow him to be a factor in the game on, and those two, um, Catches came in pretty close succession, I believe. I don't know if it was one after the other, or maybe there was a player two separated. Yeah, them. back to back. But no. yeah, I, was it back to back? They were close. Positive. Oh, it might have been. I was thinking about the Eckler miss, but that was after the second pass to QJ. Yeah, but they were letting do warm up, and he made a big play, and it's like, okay, let's good, let's feed him again. And so you're you're cool with helping him get confidence now, 
and it basically now at this point a lost season, which is fine. I mean, you're gonna have to get some run out of these guys anyway going into next year. So essentially, this is all like a, an interview for whoever's gonna be around next season, anywho. So cool, great. But yeah, it is really frustrating to watch Easton Stick come in and then suddenly develop this connection with uh Quentin Johnston, and suddenly he looks like a legit NFL wide receiver for a few plays. But you know, it's definitely a Chargers thing. So I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And I think was, that go ahead, I was just I was gonna just, say mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, I think that also has a lot to do with the fact that they're on the field a lot together in training camp. So they had the opportunity to build that rapport with with QJ, probably working a lot with the second team in training camp. And certainly they were on the field a lot together in in, um, in the preseason. So I, yeah, fair point. I think that's got a lot to do with it. <clears throat> so it was back-to-back plays, and it wasn't Sertani beat uh, on the big one. It was Moreau. It was Sertani beat on that kind of post. Plant. Right, yeah. yeah. It was 57 and 22 yards back-to-back. Two big chunk plays from QJ. That was good. Speaking of chunks, what about J.K. Scott's kick today? I know we don't really do kicker talk, but I – Dude, that's the furthest kick I think I've ever seen in my life. That was what was it eighty three yards? Eighty three yeah, yards. Broke the record, yeah. He kicked yeah. it from like their eight. It felt like one hundred eighty three yards. That was so far, I could not believe it. And he got, he got it all. It felt like it was like going to get blocked too, but and he man, he jumped into that one. It was a hell of a kick. Franchise record today. Yeah, I don't he's never been known for the long ball, but uh-uh. it seems to be something that he's added to his game here just in the last few weeks because I mean what he booted a sixty plus yarder last week as well. So when we're talking about flipping the field, he's definitely earning his paycheck and special teams is just showing up as they have been pretty much all season long. So uh you know, I know he's kind of caught in some flack there for a few games where he looked a little off, but he's gotten it together and he's become, I mean, dare I say a bit of a weapon in the special teams game. So Good on him. I mean, I wonder if he got a gold star in the locker room at the end of the game since we like giving out <laughs> participation awards. Uh, and and he uh, credit to him because J.K. Scott looked like ass for like a five to seven game stretch. But then the last two weeks and last week. So he had like three or four like coffin kicks too, where they were inside the 10 or whatever. And now we've got that big boot sets a franchise record. And after he got a game ball, Staley was like, J.K. Scott's been a weapon for us. And I'm like, he has not. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, he was great today, but he has not been a weapon. And then back-to-back weeks, he's been really good. So he has been a little bit of a weapon. So nice little turnaround from J.K. Scott. All hell, Ryan Ficken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got a question here. And send in your questions. We'll start to answer them here uh, in the chat. Uh Charles, Michael, Sinclair, three main takeaways. Rice and Johnston, similar players. Rice, give me uh, Rasheed. Yeah, okay. You're muted, Jamie. Uh, Definitely doesn't mean Jerry Rice, so I'm sure. Uh, Coaching matters. Staley is cooked. We saw enough from Spiller. Next staff has to work with. D is okay. First round might be a skilled player. Bowers? Somebody asked about uh, a top five pick, if it's possible for the Chargers to get a top five pick. And I, I just looked it up. They're they're a game behind Washington, and they're number four. The Giants, basically we're rooting for a Giants and Titans win on Monday night because they're both four and eight. Chargers are five and eight. Can start to move that draft stock up. But um, so what do you guys, do you guys, uh, you guys agree? I mean, obviously we talked about how hard Spiller was running, but there's enough here. I mean, he ran physical as hell today. I thought he looked like a real nice power back. So enough enough to work with, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing we've been saying since they drafted him. I mean, they're, you know, they've got Kelly who has no vision. They've got Eckler who is the slasher and may not even be here next year. They need to find a long-term solution. And Spiller is, if you want to own the line of scrimmage and you want to be a physical downhill rushing attack, Spiller is, based on what they have on the roster right now, he's the best option. And we saw him, he looked explosive through the hole. He's able to make people miss. He finishes runs, falls forward, gets that extra yard, yard and a half sometimes. Um, The question is going to be the pass protection. And we know he can catch the ball. At least we saw him do it in college. So I think there's a lot there. You like the frame too. He's a big kid, big, strong kid. So I think lots to work with there. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, do y'all want me to sound like a broken record? <laughs> it, it's been roughly a year that I've been literally on this hill asking for the kid to get some meaningful snaps. And it's not because I just assume that because he's a big back, then maybe he can make a difference. It's not about just looking at the measurables. We've studied him. We watched him play. We know what his strengths are. We understand how he could be utilized in the offense for what they claim that they wanted to do. And then lo and behold, you give him a few snaps. You see that in action. And then you start to question things again. It's like, okay, so why do you have a guy that's directly in front of him as your RB2 uh, that's getting so many more snaps than he is, even though, I mean, let's be honest, it's not like Kelly's getting a ton of uh, burn in these games. It's mostly been Eckler. Kelly's almost kind of been used as the quote unquote change of pace, or maybe I got to just give uh, Eckler a break, but everything that Isaiah Spiller offers you can be looked at in a scouting report and confirmed. If you're telling me that pass protection is the issue issue, I'm like, okay, cool. I understand that young backs typically have a hard time with pass protections, specifically those who come from, um, you know, conferences where they're not known for like hard nosed, uh, whether it be blocking or playing general, like teams that just like to spread it around. Pressure is not really thing, a, a thing against the quarterback. Maybe they're utilizing the passing game more as receivers and guys in protection. But this kid came from the SEC with a team that ran the hell out of the ball. And I watched him every year improve as a pass blocker. He was getting much better in PBU. By the time he left Texas A&M, he was no longer really a liability in my eyes. There were other questions about him. But if you're telling me that he hasn't improved as a pass blocker to this point, I've seen him with the ability to do it in college. If he's not transitioning over to the NFL at this point, then my question then goes to where it always goes. What's going on with the coaching? There's so many issues at so many different positions where guys don't seem to be developing who are high level talents in college that have gotten to the point to where they're in year like two or three. And you're still not seeing things come to fruition on the field. And it makes you wonder they didn't just decide to suck once they got drafted. There's a development problem. And, you know, you see this kid get on the field, you see him do a little bit of something and you realize, oh, wow, that's probably why they drafted him. Why don't we get to see more of that? And you probably will now going forward for the remainder of the season. It'll be for essentially no reason with regard to being competitive, but it's more of let's see what we have going forward. And it's going to be a tryout for many of these guys on the roster just to see what they're capable of doing. And I mean, it took us getting to this point to be able to see a little bit more, but I mean, I guess it is what it is. We'll have to take it for what it's worth. All right. So we got a question here from LaRon Newell Goodwin mentioned a few times in the discord, but do you guys think the front office will use Herbert injury and the defense and the defense, not the defense, the defense playing better recently as reasons to keep Staley for now, by the way, we got uh, mentioned a couple times in the discord um, explaining to people how you could get in the discord. And I, I think that's uh, something we don't, we don't do often enough, but if you guys want to get in the discord, we got a little community going over there, which I absolutely love. We're all over there. We're uh, real. Um, we're in there all the time. We're all active there. Uh, you could just join the Patreon. Uh, any tier you want, join the Patreon. You get a free link to the Discord. Come join the community with us. Uh, it's it's our favorite place to be. Uh, definitely better than Twitter for sure. So and you can and you can find there's a link for the Discord. Thank you. Posted. Jamie. It's pinned up on the Lightning Round Twitter page, so you can go there and yep. sign up through that link. It's very easy. Yep. Or search Patreon for the Lightning Round Podcast. You'll find us there. Um, but uh, in terms of Laurent's question, do you think that with Herbert's injury that this is uh, going to now be an excuse for the Spani family to not fire Staley? Go ahead, Craig. I mean, I don't think that they were really wanting to do that anyway. They were probably looking for reasons to not have to, and this is as good as any. I mean, we talked about it last couple of weeks. We had some information with regard to what the plan might have been had they lost to the Pats. And going into that game, there was a little bit of waffling based on the Keenan situation and whether or not he was going to play. So, I mean, if that wasn't enough or if that was enough to potentially allow him to stick around, if Keenan not being available would have stopped it, then – I mean, I can't foresee them canning him after their quarterback goes down and them having to throw in their backup. Uh, 
and the defense played relatively well early on to start the game. But when your offense is kind of stuck in the mud, then you can't exactly expect those guys to run out there for four quarters and be able to hold a team that has a very good offensive minded head coach, by the way, who relished every second of this, I'm certain, um, to hold the fence. I mean, you know, for the remainder of the game. So, yeah, uh, it's not like they needed a ton of reason to keep um, to hold on to Staley. I'm sorry. But now, I mean, I would be shocked if they let him go after this game. Um, yeah, I, I doubt they'll fire him in season. I think that's kind of always been our assumption prior to getting that that tidbit about them potentially firing him if they had lost to the Patriots last week uh, before it looked like Keenan might not play. Um, in terms of after the season, I mean, we, we already know they're predisposed to wanting their coaches to stick around for four years, almost regardless of what's going on. The only thing that's giving me hope is they're reaching the point where they're getting openly mocked on national television. Uh, when the team is playing. I mean, you've got announcers and former players mocking the fourth down policies. You've got them mocking how disorganized they look when they're not able to get fourth down plays off, burning timeouts. Um, I mean, things like what a mess as they're mm -hmm. going to commercial. I mean, they're, they're not hiding. A couple times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're not hiding anything about how they feel about Staley and how the chargers look and how they're coached. And these are things that the Spanoses, I promise you, hear. They hear, they're sensitive to them. They know they're in LA. They know they can't afford to look stupid. And they're looking pretty stupid right now. So that's giving me hope. Um, I just question with Herbert being out for the last four and a half games, is it enough for them to be convinced that they could have turned it around if Herbert was healthy? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm holding out hope because I can't watch this anymore. I'm holding out hope they're going to get <laughs> rid of him because they just lost to a Bron to a Broncos team that has zero offense and they gave up 24 points to them. Mm -hmm. And they got pretty well throttled by a very middle of the road team that doesn't move the football without turnovers. They mm -hmm. don't score points without turnovers. So and they were not ready for the blitz, which is something coming in the the Broncos were blitzing 30% of the time. I think they were like top five or top 10 or something like that. And blitz percentage, they were not creating pressure and they were not getting to the quarterback. They were not prepared for the blitz. They couldn't protect the quarterback. They gave up. What was it? Six sacks today, something like that. Um, they just were not ready for the way the Broncos play defense. Um, and that in and of itself should be reason to fire Staley, regardless of whether Herbert's healthy or not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't think they end up firing him before the season. I mean, they only have a month left. They're probably just going to ride this out uh, for the end of the year. I know, I know, everybody wants him fired after every game, but you know, it's just it it doesn't happen. But yeah, they're they're openly being mocked by everybody. Uh, the hot seat about Staley is gaining traction every single week. Um, I mean, as soon as they lost this game, there's just so many different outlets tweeting about: Is this Staley's last game as a head coach? And, um, sorry, a little echo there. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't feel like they're going to end up firing him and defensively. They just, they, I mean, they were, they were fine today, but they had no answer for anything. And these, this Broncos team, while they got hot, they just, I mean, they shouldn't have lost the way they did. And in the middle of that game in the third quarter, they just felt like they were just rolling along. They weren't, they weren't putting their foot on the gas they were basically just playing to till there were triple zeros. I mean, it just felt like Peyton was just kind of running the ball and trying to just waste clock. They weren't even really trying to move the ball until they really needed to at the end of the game. And then they ended up scoring. So I, you know, honestly, I don't think they end up firing Staley and I definitely don't think they're going to um, use it as an excuse to keep him another year for sure. Do you guys feel here from Charles now with uh, Herbert who's most likely going on the IR. Do you think it's either Bowers or Marvin Harrison Jr. at this point? <clears throat> I I mean, it depends on where they wind up. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. feels like he's probably a top five pick, maybe top two or three. So they've got some work to do to get down to that range. In terms of Bowers, I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, taking a tight end in the top 10. Mm-hmm. They have so many needs in so many other places. They're probably going to need at least one more edge player. They they need at least one more, probably two more corners. 
they got problems at safety. They got problems at linebacker, offensive Tackle, line. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know how you justify that. That Bowers, granted, I haven't watched a lot of him, so I can't talk to him. I can't talk about him as a prospect, but Bowers to me is like if you're if you feel like you just need one more piece to complete your offense, maybe you take Bowers. Mm. And I don't think that's the position the Chargers find themselves in. I they just have so many skill position needs. I I, I just don't see them doing that, but I, I could be wrong. If you're talking about a top five to seven pick on a tight end, I'm not sure I can justify that on Brock Bowers, even though I like him quite a bit. And Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't getting outside of the top five, I don't believe. Jamie already mentioned it. He might be within the top three. You're not going to trade up to go get that because you have way too many needs. That's super irresponsible uh, for the Chargers to go that route. Again, it all boils down to where they end up at the end of the season, where that draft pick looks like. Um, if we're talking something that's inside of the top eight or so, eh, I, I may still feel the need to trade back in that scenario because you could probably get some pretty high quality draft picks there to fill some needs because the team moving forward, by the way, is going to need to be very effective in their drafting because they're going to have to reshuffle the roster going into next year anyway. So, you need to hit on as many of these draft picks as you can get, and you need as many of them as you can muster. So as nice and bright and shiny as Brock Bowers looks, think about it this way. If you're still having issues up front, why does it matter? I mean, how often and how much time is Herbert going to have to get the ball into his hands anyway? So look at it with regard to what helps, number one, your best player, protecting him and allowing him to be as efficient as possible, and then how else can you supplement some of the other strengths on your team and fill some needs and know that you're probably going to have to do some real homework in your scouting department, finding guys who can contribute sooner rather than later, and also focus on getting a coaching staff that can develop players. So uh, again, long story less long, Brock Bauer sounds great. I like him. I don't know if I'm taking him in top five to eight and you ain't trading up to get Marvin Harrison. So. And I, I would just add to that, if you're in the top five to eight, there's a chance that Jaden Daniels might still be on the board at that point, with, at which point you're talking about somebody giving up God knows what to trade up for him. So that's something to keep in mind too. You know, if you're looking, if you want them to trade back and add picks, you want them to be in that five to seven round, five to seven range, because if Daniels is on the board, somebody's going to come up to get him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I think we made that point on uh on roundtable we were talking about that cuz there's there's a pretty big drop off uh after him, after Daniel. So, you know, it does it does feel like a prime spot to trade back, collect some picks and and build. I mean, if you're trading down and you can get Brock Bowers, then maybe it makes a little bit more sense if you're collecting picks, but I I just I don't like the idea of taking him in the top 10. I just I don't think it's uh, as good of a player as he is. I don't think it makes much sense to have a guy like Brock Bowers uh, as your pick in the top 10, not with all the holes the chargers have. They, they, uh, unless they can, you know, and they're not going to, but if they can just hit some home runs in uh, free agency and fill some of those holes, they don't have the money to do it. Um, but I don't know. I, I just don't see a, a scenario where that makes any sense as talented as Bowers may be. I haven't watched him uh, extensively, but, yeah, I don't. I don't think it makes sense. Um, what do you guys think about? Man, there was a question and I just missed it. Uh, is it? Um, where are we at here? And what year is this? Because this feels like Fire Telesco has been six years running. Because in my mind, I'm asking how how long have we been saying it's time to fire Telesco? We have been saying this, the gentleman above oh. me, before, <laughs> before I even got here, but yeah. we've all been in communication long before I was a part of the show. We've all been on the same page about this and have been asking for it for years. So again, I repeat this, we have not been Telesco fans. We have been extremely critical of Telesco for years now. This isn't a new thing just because we don't shout it every five minutes doesn't mean that we're on board with keeping him or that we don't think he's a problem 
He's a part of the issue. He's just not the largest issue. Mm-hmm. I They all need to go um, is the simplest way to put it. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's been here for now 11 years, three playoff appearances, one, two playoff wins, two playoff wins. Mm-hmm. Um, in a results-based business, he has not had the results. And you kind of have to stretch things to make a case for him hitting on picks on a consistent mm-hmm. basis, even in the first round. Um, and most importantly, you know, you, he did not hire Mike McCoy. So you give him a pass on that one, but he hired Anthony Lynn. He was involved in it at least didn't work out. He was involved in some way or another in hiring Staley that is on its way to not working out. Uh, I don't see how you keep him around at the very least hire a third head coach. Nobody, no GM gets that opportunity. So if they do, then as people in the discord likes to say, we know they're not a serious franchise um, because you just can't justify it at this point. Um, You have to really look and stretch and have a desire to find a defense for keeping him at this point, especially if they finish this season with double digit losses, which they're going to. The truth. And uh, if we're being real about this with regard to building an actual roster, all of those first round picks look nice. The ones that hit, right? Particularly the guys that fell directly into his lap. And we don't even have to go to the first round picks that haven't worked out to this point thus far, just from the last couple of years where a GM earns his pay is in those middle rounds. And when you go back and start looking at some of the guys that the Chargers drafted that were third round projects, even fourth, fifth round guys, sixth round guys that looked like they could potentially be steals based on the way that they produced in college and then had them come in and essentially end up not only off the roster, but some of them out of the NFL altogether shows you that there's a very real, real issue with probably two things. Number one, scouting. And if it's not scouting, well, no, no, it has to somewhat be scouting because they're not catching on elsewhere, but the development side of things. So as a GM, there's a very real problem with some of the selections that he's making panning out and them not being developed, which falls on the coaching staff. But again, he kind of is in the mix of all of this. But if you're looking at him just from the perspective of someone who picks players, some of these mid round guys that end up needing to be guys that move up as the years go along and replace some of these bigger names that maybe the Chargers decide they don't want to have to play. They're not panning out because they're not being developed to one day be the next guy up. So all of the first round picks look great. Well, not all of them, some of them, the names that everyone know and love, but then, you know, some of these guys that have found their way to like pizza hut delivery guys, there's gotta be somebody that falls on the sword for that. And there's your GM. I will, as long as I live, never forgive Tom Telesco for wasting Justin Herbert's rookie window. (laughs) I will never, ever forgive him for that because the Chargers had a franchise quarterback and they wasted those years, those five years where they could have made a run. And now, now look at him. It's a mess right now. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Would you have, from Corey, Casey, excuse me, would you have rather traded for Sean Payton or drafted Zay Flowers? My answer is Zay Flowers 100%. Yeah, I, I would I would go with Flowers as well. He he was amazing today. I don't know if you guys saw the game. Oh, yeah, we saw. God, man. Trust, trust me. And when the Ravens go- needed a play... 
they threw it to Zay Flowers. Then when they needed a two-point conversion, they threw it to Zay Flowers. He's a playmaker. Just like we said during the draft. That's all we kept saying was how good Zay Flowers was. And I felt like, anyway. Yeah. Here we go again. <laughs> this thing, man. It's like, nobody in here needs me to repeat this again because you've heard me say the same thing for over a year. Like, literally, same thing. So, yeah, answers in line with these guys as well. Zay Flowers, no questions asked. I was probably the conductor of the Zay Flowers train, so whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't I know don't how bl- good Sean Payton is yet, but go ahead. Jamie. I mean, they're on a run right now where they're having, like, historic luck or production from a turnover perspective with their defense. His offense is not winning them games. That defense is winning them games. Um, I mean – some of the turnovers that are falling into their lap are just ridiculous. They're being opportunistic and they're making the plays and you got to give them credit. But I mean, you know, they've had a, what, seven game stretch now where they played um, Jordan Love before he got hot. They played um, Dobbs. They've played DTR. They just played a half against Easton Stick. (laughs) Um, Some, and some of the turnover numbers, I mean, they've had, multiple games where they forced three or more turnovers. That shit just doesn't happen. And that's not, that's not Peyton. Yeah. I'm not a big believer to begin with in trading draft capital for a head coach who put the saints in the position they're in right now. And then when things got tough was like, peace out, I'm going to retire. This isn't working. I mean, he paid Taysom Hill for crying out loud. (laughs) So let's, let's keep that in mind. The guy put that team in a horrible cap position with his personnel decisions and then bolted when things got tough. And it's lasted long since he's been gone. I yep. mean, they're still feeling the effects of that. Yep. It's the whole kicking the can down the road thing with that Drew Brees contract and just trying to ride him out to the very end when that dude's right arm just stopped working. <laughs> Instead of doing what needed to be done, they held on to him with every last dying breath. And when Sean saw that the ship was sinking, he got out of there. So, I mean, you know, you guys know that I'm a New Orleans native and, um, you know, my family is mostly Saints fans, so I get to hear about the complaining all the time, how much they hate the condition that he left that team in, and like even to this day, um, for all the goodwill that Sean Payton had for leading them to that Super Bowl, a lot of it's just kind of out of the window at this point. So as much credit as you want to give Sean for helping them achieve that accomplishment, he also left them in the rut that they currently find themselves and will probably be digging out of for at least another couple years. So, yeah, Zay, and no questions asked. And I, I heard it on the broadcast, but um, today is Brandon Staley's birthday. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's 41. It? 41. Yeah. Yep. It'd be mm. a hell of a present to uh, let him spend uh, a, a extra long vacation with his family. They should have fired him at halftime. Charles says, and uh, thanks for your donations today, Charles. Uh, the only way they trade back as if Telesco was gone. Do you think if they keep Telesco, he would be smart enough to trade back? No, yes no, no, he's never done it. Yeah, I know, but still yeah, they, they talk about it and you know, you know how this works. Uh, they don't do it. And then you hear everything about like what they were considering doing it just so it seemed like they were at least like thinking about it, but nah, <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's see. I wanted to throw something oh, up. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tyler says, even Coward said in his podcast this week, Harbaugh wouldn't take the job because of the Spanos kids wanting personnel control. So I don't know, Tyler, if you're aware, but we've shared this in the past. After the Chargers started 0-2, the Chargers reached out to Harbaugh to see if he'd be interested in coming to the team. They initiated that, and he said he'd be interested. That was after two games. We found that out, what, like six weeks ago now? Six or seven weeks (laughs) ago? So while I understand making assumptions about the Spanos kids wanting personnel control, one, A.G. Spanos is not involved in personnel. He's involved on the marketing side. He was the mastermind behind signing Damian Square and (laughs) Jalila died to to retire his charters yesterday. (laughs) So that's his contribution to the team. Um, but in terms of John, I have to imagine John was part of that conversation when they reached out to Harbaugh. So the fact that they even reached out to him tells me that they're at least considering changing the way that they do things because there's no way you reach out to John Harbaugh and don't assume that he wants personnel control. So 
there is information that we have that Coward may not have, and he's making assumptions there. So I would say maybe be cautiously optimistic on that front, just based on the fact that they reached out to him and initiated those conversations. I have one quick question. Uh, do we think it was AG's idea to have them gaze in each other's eyes for that one shot? Because um, <laughs> awkward. Just a little, man. I'm curious. It was real cute. Not that there's anything wrong with that. The only thing missing no, was the little hands up. Like hands on the. Yeah. They should have Grace, Grace does back that. And, yeah. Grace does that when she thinks she burns somebody. She goes. <laughs> They should have laid on their stomachs and put their cradle on their hands and kicked their feet back. Well, we're, we're um, definitely getting burned, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, is Jim Harbaugh your number one candidate if uh, Staley gets fired? Uh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Correct. Okay, cool. He was my number one last time before they hired Staley. Huh. Uh, let's see. Uh there's a bunch of questions here. Um, do you think, Oh, here's a question because Robert saw that uh, Michigan's offering him a contract. I'm sure Robert says, is there a chance we lose Harbaugh to Michigan? I don't think so. Unless the chargers make the decision that they don't want to hire him mm -hmm. or other NFL teams make the, I, he's going to wind up in the NFL is basically what I'm saying Yeah, because they made him saying that he would not take an NFL job, this hiring cycle part of, he had to sign his name to that contract saying yeah. that he would not take an NFL job. And to my knowledge, he hasn't signed it yet. So I think that's pretty telling. He's expecting to take an NFL job. It's just a matter of, will it be the chargers or will it be somebody else? Mm -hmm. That stipulation within that contract was key. And with everything that Harbaugh's had to deal with, not only just this year in college football, but years past, He's just kind of seemed to have that itch to get back into the NFL. And this isn't just a conversation that started this past offseason or into this year. He's been sniffing around a few organizations and talking to a few people. I mean, that's out there to be seen. But I don't believe that there's really unless he is willing to be at Michigan for a while, specifically just for this next cycle, because I don't know if all of the sanctions and everything that's associated with the stuff that happened this year has completely played out or not. But if he agrees to that, then there's a chance that he may have to deal with whatever coming down the pipe with regard to that too. So do you want to take a chance on that? Or do you want to, you know, especially if he wins a natty this year, by the way, because to me, that's the end all be all. If he gives Michigan a championship, he gets to ride off into the sunset. He's got one for his alma mater. He can come back to the NFL and finish his unfinished business. And mm -hmm. it just sounds like the perfect scenario to me. And Cole, if he doesn't, okay. if he doesn't, he can say, fuck it. I'm done with the investigations. I'm done with the regulations and restrictions. I'm out. That kind of that, works either way. That was part of the conversation was how annoyed he was with all the restrictions in college. Cause he can go. And we've talked about, I mean, he's going to, when he goes to the NFL, he's going to, he's going to be a pain in the ass. And he's going to Jamie, as Jamie, <laughs> as Jamie mentions, he's going to run hot. Uh, he's going to get the chargers pretty far into the playoffs and they're going to make a run with him. Uh, he might fizzle out pretty fast, but it's going to be a, a ride for as long as he's here. That's you got about a six, a maybe seven year window tops. He's going to piss mm -hmm. everybody off. He's going to burn every single bridge possible, but you're probably going to get a couple AFC championship games in that, in that window. And I am okay with that. Do you yeah. want to Frankly, compete or not? Period. This is yeah. the question. So you're going to have to concede some stuff. But what you've done historically has not worked. So it's time to do something very, very different. Give a, give it a shot. I'm, that's all and, I'm saying. And I'm all here to watch him piss off and burn down the Spanos family. I that's That was the point I was going to make. Because really <laughs> the cherry on top is who he's going to piss off are the people that deserve every <laughs> part of it and every piece of that. So I'm I'm all for that. Him pissing off all the Spanos family, uh, going against all their decisions, probably openly mocking them in press conferences to the media, talking down to his children. Like that's all going to happen, and I'm 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 ready for it. I can't wait for the first time he thumbs his nose up at John. I, that, <laughs> I'm going to record that man and play it on an endless loop. It'll put me to sleep at night. Cannot yeah. wait. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that's a good uh, place to end here. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for watching. 
Um, got a lot of people here for a pretty ugly loss and a pretty depressing loss, but it's time to look at the draft now. We can start our draft process early, which is nice, and I think it's going to be a top 10 pick, which is going to be even nicer. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, good players available, I'm sure. So uh, thanks for watching. Make sure you subscribe uh, on YouTube. Again, you can join the Patreon. Check out uh, the Lightning Round Twitter. You uh, join the Patreon. You can be part of the Discord. Uh, follow us on Twitter, everything else. Appreciate you guys, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Salute.